Hello, I am Joel McLeod. And I'm Roland Tanner. And welcome to the Nano Fiber. After some back and forth of will they, won't they, the Ford government is looking to legislate anti-bullying legislation for elected city officials in Ontario. After initially voting down a similar bill by Ontario Liberal MPP Stephen Blaise, the Ford government came under fire from advocates. So this month, Minister of Municipal Affairs Paul Calandra announced that they would be introducing legislation which would seek to protect City Hall staffers from bullying and harassment from mayors and councillors. At first glance, this seems like a welcome news story. However, this wouldn't be a 905 episode if we didn't have at least some questions. Mostly, what should adequate protections for staff look like in a municipal setting? And why wouldn't these protections also extend to political staff at Queen's Park? To discuss this, we invited onto the podcast two guests. Jennifer Olchawi is a former federal conservative staffer from Parliament Hill in Ottawa. And Professor Julie McFarlane is the co-founder of Camp By My Silence, a group whose goal is to end the practice of NDAs to silence employees from speaking out against their employers. Both of them join us today. Oh, uh, welcome to the podcast, uh, Professor Julie McFarlane and uh, my my friend of old, uh, Jennifer Olchawi. Um, great to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for making time for us. Thank you. So um, what, what has prompted this episode is... Um, the apparent announcement, somewhat informal announcement from uh, Housing Minister, Municipal Affairs Minister Paul Calandra, um, that uh, the province is thinking of uh, passing uh, legislation, uh, which kind of follows up from a private member's bill from the Liberal MPP Stephen Blaise, uh, uh, that was going to add protections uh, for municipal staff uh, to protect them from uh, abuse by um, by politicians, basically at the municipal level, and uh, I think Joel and I's reaction initially was, "Well, great, yeah. I mean, definitely, this is something that there's a need for. We've seen some pretty shocking municipal behaviour over the years." Um, but they also immediately begged the question, "Well, if what's right for the municipalities, it, wouldn't that also be right for the provinces and the federal government?" Um, because boy, do we have some experience, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> along those lines. So we thought we would um, invite two guests on uh, who uh, are dealing with different aspects of this kind of story, uh, and which actually really relate more to the non-municipal level. Um, and perhaps I should go to you first, uh, Professor McFarlane, and um, uh, ask you to sort of, you know, first of all, give us your impression of, of what the province says it's going to do. And then perhaps you could speak some more about... Um, your sort of uh, areas of expertise uh, in this and, and uh, your knowledge of the uh, of other levels of government as well. Okay, thank you, Roland. Um, well, first of all, I mean, on the face of it, this appears to be a very good um, development that there would be protection for people working for municipalities from abuse. Um, I would, you know, ru- wait, wait with my judgment until I actually see what the legislation says, however. Um, And I think that it's important 
that while there are all kinds of ways that you can virtue signal around these issues and say, you know, you are wanting to protect people from harassment and discrimination and bullying behavior. Um, unfortunately, we have a lot of problems with the way in which those complaints are then handled. So um, this goes a lot further than simply having legislation saying we would like to ensure protection for this group. And I also agree with you, by the way. Roland, that it should also include um, people at other levels of government. Um, I am currently the the um, the co-founder um, of a campaign called Can't Buy My Silence, which uh, I run with Zelda Perkins, who was the first woman to break her NDA with Harvey Weinstein in the UK. And what we know from that work is that an awful lot of investigations, even once you have some protection, even once there is a willingness to investigate what has happened to somebody and the harms that have been caused, the use of non-disclosure agreements at the beginning uh, and at the end of investigations means that the information that's been obtained never comes to light. Um, perpetrators can continue with their behavior because they're protected by the NDA. And for somebody who's actually suffered these kinds of harassment, the NDA blocks them from being able to talk to anybody about it, including family, friends, and even a therapist. So in other words, um, you know, we, we have to wait with our judgment over something that is going to give at least a symbolic boost to people who've been asking for better protection for workers until we actually see the process and then the process itself um, evolving and, and rolling out in practice because that's often, unfortunately, at this point, because it, NDAs are allowed, that is unfortunately often a big disappointment. Now, I mean, I, I certainly can speak to things that I have seen while, while I was involved to a limited degree in uh, municipal affairs, I guess, uh, both before I was trying to be a politician and after I stopped trying to be a politician. <laughs> uh, things that I wouldn't mention because the people involved wouldn't want them mentioned, but that I would certainly put down as cases of, of bullying by, uh, by municipal level politicians of their staff or people, uh, you know, whether directly their own, their own staffers, so to speak, or other people. So it's definitely a need for this. I mean, there's this very publicly well-known cases. There's, you know, the, the former councilman Hamilton is something that we're very aware of mm -hmm. in this podcast. There are a few characters on there who were whose behaviour was just beyond the pale in every possible um, uh, way. But Jennifer, you, you you were a political staffer at the federal level. Um, uh, back in the in the in the Harper era, basically, if I remember rightly, um, and you've um, you've had a kind of long-standing uh, claim. Uh, you you know you were dismissed from your from your position, uh, and your your claim over a long period uh, has been that that was not fairly done, and and kind of because you're a political staffer, you have been unable to access the new the normal protections that other people in in other walks of life would have uh, perhaps you could sort of tell us tell us your story and, and and what what happened sure and and thank you uh roland and joel for the invitation to discuss such an important topic um you know i'm hoping that uh you know down the road when 
possibly legislation from the province comes down that you have Julie and I back because it is such a large topic and there's so many nuances um, that that go with it. Um, so for me, and, and I do want to just kind of jump back to the, the Ford government um, talking about this legislation. I'm not in the least a fan of the Ford government, but if they are genuine in their intent for this legislation to happen, and with what Julie had said about um, making sure that staff are protected and supported in such a way, you can have all the legislation in the world, but in reality, what's the, what's the meat of it um, to protect those, those individuals? Um, so yeah, so back in 2006, I went up to Parliament Hill. Um, I was um, a, I'm a, a political junkie, if you will. Um, democracy at its finest, love it. Um, and I went to school for government and international relations. And so in 2006, came back from uh, the States and the Bahamas and wanted to give back to my country and my community. So I worked for um, the Burlington Member of Parliament. And I have to say, now that I'm close to my 50s, um, how naive I was when I first got up on the hill. Um, and, and not to say that it was a bad place, because I met some wonderful people, um, was involved with many wonderful events, um, but there's, there's this high schoolish kind of way about the culture there, and it's toxic, um, more so now than before. So uh, I'll try and, and put all of this together because when um, I went up to the hill, I was in my late 20s, and then when everything happened, I was in my 30s, and like I said, now I'm close to my 50s. So worked for a uh, member of Parliament for Burlington for a few years, then I hopped over to the ministerial side. And as a ministerial staff, you do fall under the Public Service Employment Act. Um, so you have to follow certain things, codes of ethics, if you will. But under um, that act, the ministers are able to hire staff. They're exempt staff, though. So not only can they hire, but they can also fire um, with cause or without. So in 2009, I worked for uh, the Minister for Citizenship, Immigration and Multiculturalism, uh, which was great. Uh, was hired by the acting chief at the time and uh, was there for a little bit. Federal election happened, took a leave of absence, came back. Uh, the Harper government was still uh, in. And in June of that year, um, the same acting chief of staff who hired me for the for citizenship and immigration, he had moved over to the Minister of State for seniors. And he offered me a position as executive assistant and director of stakeholder relations. He knew my work, he knew my integrity, he knew my character. So I accepted in June. At that time, I then traveled with the minister and the director of communications. We traveled throughout um, the country to meet with stakeholders. And then um, I started not feeling right, if you will. But I thought, you know what, long hours, you know, it, it takes a toll on you. And I had just come off of federal election, it takes a toll. But I knew something wasn't right. So I went to the doctors and the doctor said, you need to stop working now. 
took lab work, so on and so forth. And while I was off for the week, the chief of staff continued to ask me to work, um, would phone me at all hours, would email me at all hours. I could not take time off. So the next week on that Sunday, he said, you need to come into the office. On the Monday, spoke with the minister. She said, just take care of your health. A couple hours later, I was terminated. He said for insubordination, I said, I'm sick, um, but disagreed. It was quick. Everything was quick. And so since that time, I lawyered up. Um, there weren't many ways in which I could um, provide a voice to a grievance board. Um, there isn't one um, because of the fact that a minister can hire or fire with or without cause. And so I went to a lawyer. Um, I went to the Canadian Human Rights Commission. I sued the government in civil court. Um, I was advised uh, by a lawyer to go into that, uh, went to the media, and then my local MP. And that happened over the course of many years. Um, but it was Helen back and then some. There's a lot in between. Um, I have about 10,000 pages worth of uh, privacy requests that I put in that paint a picture that there were a lot of things happening behind the scenes. Um, Jennifer, I, I mean, I, my background is a political staffer as well. And I suspect our, well, you're coming from the conservative point of view. Uh, I was from the, the liberal, uh, POV and I, 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 I'm, I'm going to ask you this question. Cause I found my time at Queens park, the culture there was very much about preservation of the elected member. All else fails as a staffer. Your job is to protect their job not to protect your own. Would you say that was something similar uh, to you, that, that just that culture of like the, the, the MP, or in my case, the MPP, well, no matter what, they must be protected from any scandal, any wrongdoing, any, any notion of wrongdoing? That was never um, voiced, but mm -hmm. you could, I mean, right. everywhere you go, I mean, you have that loyalty, whether right. it's, you know, on the government side of things or outside, you know, outside of that. Um, so there's that loyalty, um, right. you know, so it, it wasn't really voiced until, you know. Right. <laughs> no, but that's, that was my kind of my experience as well. It wasn't an explicit, like, Joel, this is how you do it, but is this flavor to the, to the hallways kind of as you're, you know, don't, don't, don't do anything wrong. Yeah, don't um, rock the boat. Right. And, it, and so I, I kind of want to take that that part and go over to you julie uh or professor mcfarland i should say um because that that in the political sphere that there is no checks and balances it's not a regular job it's not like you have an hr department where you say hey my boss is treating me poorly can i can i file a complaint that doesn't exist in the political sphere um i, I kind of want your your insight in terms of why we would need this to kind of curb that culture that uh, that culture of exceptional of exceptionalism just because you are who you are as opposed to uh uh kind of a merit-based uh credential if i should say you know because I, I view it as it's it's what leads to corruption at the in politics is that you're told as a, as an elected official you're told you're special and you must be protected and when the, 
when you have that kind of attitude in the workplace, it, it I find that it can lead to abuse. It, it leads to to corruption of power. Is that is that your take on on having looked at this? The, the need for a lack of ND or to eliminate NDAs, I should say, across the, the workplace, like that when you give this much power to a, a person, it leads to that corruption. Right. Well, you know, first of all, let me say that the particular circumstances under which political staffers are hired under the PSSA, the Public Service Staff Relations Act, isn't something within my knowledge, expertise. Mm -hmm. um, the fact is that every worker in Canada can be fired at the will of the employer, either with or without cause. The only difference in those two actions is how much money is it going to cost the employer, um, because we are in a what's described at common law, an employment at will mm -hmm. uh, economy. And where there are workplaces, which obviously uh, the federal government is one such workplace, municipal as well, um, where there are gross imbalances of power, then you inevitably see um, all kinds of corruption and abuse of those positions. Um, you know, I see it, for example, in corporations as well, um, frequently. I mean, you know, we never hear from the CEOs who are being abused by their secretaries. Let me just put it that way. Um, right. It's always the other way around. And right. in universities, <clears throat> um, the problem of faculty misconduct and bullying, especially of graduate students, um, is very, very alarming how often that takes place. And again, it's facilitated by exactly what you described and Jennifer described as that power relationship, which is based on... Um, I think a sense of entitlement to protect reputation. I mean, the protection of reputation is at the base of all of this. Um, and the increasing use of non-disclosure agreements to shut people up about virtually everything, not their original purpose, which was to protect trade secrets and intellectual property. Um, we see people, for example, working for political parties now who regularly have to sign NDAs that relate to anything that happens in the workplace before Sorry. they begin work. Can I just interject there? And I think this is an important point to clear up for our audience. What's the difference between an NDA and a confidentiality agreement? Because certain some of our listeners are going to say, well, if you sign on, sign something and say, well, you can't give away, you know, if you, if you work for a company and you invent like the new iPhone, <laughs> the company owns the iPhone, not you. Right. And if you're, if you're entitled to, if you're working with patent technology or, or patent intellectual property and you're expected to work with that, you're, you're expected, well, yeah, I can't take it and pass it off as my own. Right. So can you maybe just clarify, right. clarify and, for and I mean, equally that? in politics, you know, you may mm -hmm. be bound to not disclose what's going to be in the party's manifesto. Right. I mean, you know, in sports teams, it could be not sharing the new tactics. I mean, there are lots of versions of this. Um, the short answer, the, though, Joel, is that um, there is no difference between a non-disclosure uh, agreement and a confidentiality agreement. But confidentiality is a much warmer and fuzzier word, so people like to use it more often. But there is absolutely no technical difference. But the difference between non-disclosure agreements or NDAs for the kind of thing that you've been describing, mm -hmm. you know, intellectual property, things that have, you know, sort of proprietary interests in them, uh, innovations, as I say, the next party manifesto even, um, those are all protected 
I believe legitimately in non-disclosure slash confidentiality agreements. The difficulty is that the exact same mechanisms are now being used to prevent people speaking about any behavior whatsoever in the workplace. As I said, sometimes that takes place when they're actually hired. Nothing's happened yet. But if you're to be bullied or if you're to experience bad treatment because you're off on you know, sick, and then they keep harassing you, you already have in advance preemptively agreed not to say anything. Um, And that's just shocking. I mean, that can't be the way we run any kind of workplace. And it's kind of just snuck into practice over the last 10 years or so that this is increasingly the default position. And we even see them being used to cover up sexual assault and misconduct as well. Right. And Jennifer, if I just come back to you for a second, I understand, I mean, you didn't sign an NDA. Uh, And you may, uh, am I right in saying you actually refused to sign one? You were asked to sign one and you didn't? I did. So um, again, my story is a little bit different. Um, And, and the way in which the chief, the the fact you're here now is because you didn't sign one. Correct. Yeah. Um, And, and uh, you know, for me, the story continued. Um, I was terminated while I was on medical leave. Um, they said they had cause. I disagreed. Um, they continued to pay me. Um, my lawyers said they're offering this. Um, they're just going to continue to pay you while we're waiting for your package. That package didn't happen until April of 2012, the following year, which was wrought with errors. The next package came November of 2012. So 14 months later, when I was terminated, um, this package came through with a confidentiality agreement, which I did not sign. One, it was again, wrought with errors. I didn't agree with it. Um, The way in which they handled things, I firmly believe they exacerbated my illness, which was Graves autoimmune hyperthyroid. Um, my doctor in his long-term disability letter he sent, he said that in his 20 years of practice, he's never seen someone so severe. So I was really dealing with a lot. Um, and because of the way in which their lawyer, 13 Department of Justice lawyers, by the way, um, with my one legal representative, um, they went ahead and they botched everything from my CRA T4 forms. Um, which I had to fight nine months for. I was called the liar and a cheat by CRA. Pension, I had to fight for. Um, I lost my dental benefits, you name it. But I did not sign that non or the confidentiality <clears throat> agreement because I, um, I knew something was wrong. And they tried to um, take my voice away. And as a result, um, you know, I've heard and I've had the the fortunate pleasure of crossing paths with so many people that have used their voice. Um, And it's a tough thing to do because not only is there self-doubt, your lack of confidence wanes, um, you've been character assassinated, um, there's false narrative about you, they go after everything. So your life, your daily life has changed. Your family has gone through it. Your bank account has gone through it. Your career pretty much is over. Um, I was shunned, blackballed, mm. you name it. Um, that's well, I was going to say, I mean, I can certainly, uh, my experience of, of people who are seen to question, and again, this is in the political sphere, certainly, who 
who kind of complain when 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 you don't just accept what you're given so to speak when you i mean and that can be when you know i'm thinking back to the um uh um oh all the names have gone out of my head so let's not bring that <laughs> but in the you know the, the politicians who who speak out against their own party you know that kind of again you're, you're viewed as kind of a traitor at that point so it's like if you say well you know look i was ill you fired me that's not fair now you know you won't not only will you not get sympathy from your own political party your own employers but the other political parties also won't have sympathy for you because it's like you're not playing the game the way you're supposed to play it and that seems a workplace is a workplace is a workplace to my mind it, it's everybody deserves the same protections uh, and you know in this specific case people who get fired when they're ill sorry people should not get fired when they're ill uh, just end the story but you know and and, and roland ju just to let you know too i mean i think every staffer political staffer understands that they serve at the, the pleasure of, of the minister or the, the elected official i mean mm -hmm. if they lose the election if they resign if they're shuffled from cabinet you understand the risk and i understood the risk that's not what i'm questioning the fact is how they dealt with it how they prolonged it they exacerbated my health stopped me from healing um and on top of that so um, I shared with Roland earlier, but, oh, sorry, Julie. Yeah. No, no, what I was I, just, oh, go ahead. No, please. No, I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry, Jennifer. I, I just think there's two points that, that I just want to jump in and make sure people who are listening understand. The first is that I only spoke about non-disclosure agreements as things that happened before anything took place as pre-hire, you know, at the point of hiring. But the place in which they're, of course, used much more uh, frequently, again, is at the point of so-called resolution. In other words, it would have been the culmination of Jennifer's negotiations, which didn't ultimately settle. And I think it's important for people to understand that what Jennifer is describing, which is this long drawn out process and the insistence that she signs an NDA and also um, serious undercompensation of some of what she's entitled to, um, this happens in every workplace. I mean, I hear from people on a daily basis who have had their term their employment terminated either with or without cause and then they're being undercompensated because it's hidden in the non-disclosure agreement it, i i want to kind of uh, go, come back to the this specific story here in, in, in ontario and while we're still waiting for the legislation to come down and see what exactly is in in the bill um it sounds it sounds to me like talking to you uh, professor mcfarland that we're looking at really kind of workers' rights reform legislation almost, not just for political staff. I mean, that's kind of the flavor of the day for the government to, to harp on. But we're looking at really like workers' rights to understand that if you're going to terminate somebody uh, for whatever reason, that it's a level playing field. We know you know the, the, the employer should know what their what their rights are and what the employee should know what their, their rights are. Uh, I'm curious to know, since we don't know what's in the bill, what would you say, what would you look for in this bill to mark this a a success? That you, like we're gonna we're gonna saying you you have the ability to write the bill, Professor McFarland. You have pen and paper, go at it, 
what what are some of the things that you want to see in it that you would say this is a good bill that our listeners might can can look at it through an analytical eye when it does come down the pipe? Right, great question. Um, and and let me just mention that there is actually, at least in theory, a consultation going on on a, another workers' rights bill that the minister, Minister Piccini, has said. Um, should include something on non-disclosure agreements. We've been trying since November to actually find out what consultation and please can we participate. Um, but they have maintained that they are going to do this in a broader workers' rights context. So what would it look like in this bill? It would look the same as it would do in a broader workplace context. It would say that um, there was always the right to ask for an investigation, that there should never be a non-disclosure agreement signed before an investigation. Because we also know from our research that many people don't even make a complaint in Jennifer's situation because they know they're going to be asked to sign an NDA and they don't want to. Uh, we have numbers approaching, you know, a third um, of our quantitative survey saying they, they wouldn't complain. They didn't complain because of that. So we want something that said there'd be no non-disclosure agreements there. We'd want something that said that in the course of the investigation, um, the complainant would have access to legal representation, um, which is also very important because often it's the complainant. As Jennifer said, she had a lawyer, but there were 13 people on the other side. Um, it's another thing that non-disclosure agreements do is they often preclude the complainant from getting a copy of the outcome of the investigation. And yes, you did hear that right. <laughs> you can sometimes go through an entire investigation and be told you can't see the, the outcome unless you sign. Guess what? A non-disclosure agreement. So we would, I would want the legislation to say something about that as well. Um, and finally, that they cannot be used in any final resolution of settlement. And that way, I mean, it's really, it's not rocket science, really. That way, everything will be open. Um, you know, there will be an openness about what actually happened and led to this, and people in Jennifer's situation would be able to speak about it. The only reason Jennifer can speak about it now is because she didn't sign that NDA. There are hundreds and hundreds of political staffers out there who did sign NDAs and can't say anything. And having no non-disclosure agreements in the resolution of a complaint by a municipal worker would also mean that they couldn't, they couldn't hide under compensation. Uh, so parallels just occurred to me, actually, uh, something we were speaking about a few years ago in the in the municipal sphere was um, there is there is a need quite often with, with um, uh, decisions on land uh, for uh, confidentiality about negotiations for, for purchases of land, for instance, um, or you know anything that that's kind of under discussion between uh, because it has economic implications for the price of property and so on but that has grown to uh it's grown from its original intent which is not for secrecy but for just keeping those details which are obviously important in a in an economic discussion uh to be kept uh private to kind of a blanket you cannot talk about anything to do with this, this right, issue exactly. you can't talk about the building you can't talk about and i mean are, you, are there and obviously, given the subject area, it may be that you can't really give examples uh, of of the kind of thing that happens. But I mean, I'm wondering if uh, if there are sort of more examples you can give our listeners of how of how these abuses have happened, you know, particularly egregious sort of examples. 
Well, they actually, you know, given that we're talking about municipalities here, um, there are many examples at a municipal level of NDAs, you know, basically leading to corruption through secrecy. Um, municipal councillors, I have a number of examples on the books of municipal councillors signing NDAs in order to ensure that the public wouldn't know until the very last moment that an unpopular corporation was moving to town. Um, we also saw a lot of examples in the most recent kind of shake-up around uh, by the Ford government around environmental bylaws, where there were obviously NDAs that were being used as well to hide information about environmental harms. So, you know, the list just really goes on and on. And just in reference to your point there, Roland, I mean, as I used to be an employment mediator for about 30 years. We always had a term that said, for the period during which we're negotiating, people are going to keep this within a cone of silence because it, it freed people up to speak honestly. But it did say, you know, you can't take this information and then use it against somebody later on because you're trying to get that, you know, feeling of openness to happen in order to get a settlement. Um, and I think that's perfectly reasonable. But again, what we've seen is this subtle morphing of that into you can never speak about anything. And the other thing we haven't spoken about yet is that an NDA is indefinite. It is for life. Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know, it's kind of like yeah. diamonds are forever, right? I mean, I've even seen NDAs that claim to bind the successors of the people who signed them. Oh, now, I believe that would not be enforceable in court, but nobody can afford to take this to court, which is the problem. The, the, danger, the, the danger, I think, I'm, you know, I'm just going to say it out loud, uh, but the danger here when we're talking in the political sphere is, of course, um, a staffer such as Jennifer, now Jennifer, I'm not implementing you and implementing you are in you in anything, but I, I'm, I'm just saying like a, a staffer who might've seen something illegal or something that is highly suspect or at the very least unethical that they think the public should be aware that the, a counselor or a mayor or an MPP is engaging in something that is a little dubious and that the public, the public has a right to know that this is going on behind closed doors. You know, without this kind of, I guess it comes down to the culture of, well, you have to protect the elected official. It's easy to bully a staffer such as Jennifer into, you know, keep mum, don't say it, don't say a word or else we'll make the next 10 years of your life a litigate, you know, litigation hell. And we need, do we, in your mind, I'm going to go to, to Jennifer first on this one and then Professor McFarland chime in when, if you feel, is the importance of this paramount that we allow staff who are very much involved in these highly detailed, complex agreements, uh, uh, funding tax dollars being used here, that kind of allow them to have that extra layer of um, accountability for the public, that they're free to be able to say, I'm seeing something suspect here. I'm going to raise the red flag and I don't want to fear repercussions from, from the, the workplace here. Oh, hang on. You hit the mute. Sorry, that's the crux of it all. And and that question is um, one that I think every elected official, every level of government really needs to have a conversation. And I think, you know, um, with regard to the legislation that uh, Paul Calandra is talking about, um, you know, whatever the meat and potatoes are of it, at least it's starting a conversation. Um, up on the hill, 
uh, on the federal side of everything, it's so hush-hush. You shouldn't be talking about that. Um, my local MP, when I went to her, um, I had asked for meeting requests, etc. And for nine months, she said, yeah, 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 not a problem, and then told me to move on. It's, um, it's something that people just do not want to broach. I think partly because of dirty laundry. Um, so in answer to your question, I think that there, there needs to be um, an opportunity for staffers to say, hey, this isn't right, um, you know, because they're culpable too. Um, if they, but, you know, with respect, there needs yeah. to be an opportunity for every employee who sees Absolutely. something bad going on to say that. I mean, Absolutely. you know, we're talking about whistleblowing and it's not that I don't recognize there are particulars about the political scene that make it, you know, different in lots of ways. But everything that you've just yeah. said, Jennifer, you know, applies as well. And, and the question that you asked, Joel, applies as well to any workplace. Mm -hmm. um, there is, in fact, just to throw this in so that you're aware of it, there is a federal bill um, that we have proceeding at the moment, which uh, is sponsored by Senator Mary Lou McFedron, um, the Can't Buy Silence bill, which would actually make it um, illegal to use any public funds that's where I think there's a little overlap here, to either create or enforce a non-disclosure agreement. So that would be trying to get the government out of making these kinds of agreements altogether um, because I know that the federal government uses them. Um, I'm afraid Jennifer isn't the only federal employee whom I have come across who has been asked to sign or, in fact, in some cases has signed a non-disclosure agreement. And I think that it's shocking that our government should allow such a thing. Go ahead, but Jennifer. I, I would like to say, and, and thank you, Dr. McFarland, for, for saying all of that. Um, Julie. I, yes, Julie. <laughs> um, I, I would like to bring, in, and I don't know if you all had um, the opportunity to see this, but um, uh, back in 2021, Ariella Kimmel, um, she was working for an Alberta minister, provincial, um, and she and I actually used to work back on the Hill for the Minister of Citizenship and Immigration long ago. But she actually um, had witnessed uh, sexual harassment, um, alcohol in, um, in the offices, just inappropriate behavior, sexually inappropriate comments, so on and so forth. And for me, I think um, it was dealt with swiftly which I'm pleased about. That gives us all some hope. Um, and I think there's a cultural shift too in, in the public viewing of NDAs, et cetera. But the, under the Alberta's Occupational Health and Safety Act, employees have an obligation to report any harassment that they witness. And so that's what she did. Um, and she was wrongfully dismissed. She sued them. Um, but I thought this was appropriate to talk about um, and bring up because there are some good things happening. Um, for me, my perspective, um, it's just happening too slowly. Um, and um, I think a lot of um, companies, as well as government institutions, police enforcement institutions, etc., I think they're extremely nervous. Public's ready to go. Um, they've got their protests and rallies going and their signs up, but it's the ones that are trying to keep their secrets. Um, they're the ones that are scared. And, they and you know, ironically, 
we are also experiencing, and I'm sure this will not be a surprise to any of the three of you, we are experiencing resistance at some political levels, um, high political levels, that um, I believe relates to the fact that those individuals have their own NDAs and are worried that legislation is going to mean that they're going to be unmasked as people who forced NDAs on on others themselves um, mm. for misconduct. So I think that Jennifer is right, that things are moving in the right direction. I actually believe we're going to look back in a few years' time and, you know, and kind of almost laugh about the fact that we thought that we could shut everybody up in a social media age, because that's what mm -hmm. this really is. It's yeah. this like over-panicked reaction. Mm -hmm. um, but in panicking, what's also happening is that people are being very unfairly deprived of their rights. I think probably that's, I know we're, we've, we've got a, a, a tight deadline today. Uh, uh, so that's probably an excellent way to conclude it. Uh, I really appreciate both of you, uh, Jennifer uh, and uh, Julie, Professor You're McFarlane, <laughs> for joining us today. Uh, this was a, a really interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. It was a, a really interesting conversation. And I do think that we'd like to great. return to it again in the future. And, and um, here's hoping, um, yeah, shining light on it will make people uh, uh, take this serious uh, yes. this issue uh, more seriously. Okay. <laughs> Thank oh, you. Jennifer, we'll talk, okay? Yes, and I just wanted to say not only thank you to you and, and, and Joel, but Julie, I wanted to thank you and Camp By My Silence and the work that you are doing because, you know, this all started for me back in 2011. And like I said, I was in my 30s. Now I'm closer to my 50s and I still don't have anything. But you and your group and all that you're doing has brought wind to my sail again. So um, I'm carrying on. So We're winning, you. Jennifer. We're going to win. It just Thank takes you. a while. Thank you. Thank you okay. all. Take care, everyone. Thank you, everyone. Bye, Jennifer. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time.
Kits. I'm your eager beaver. And I'm Mr. Grizzly. If you love politics or hate politics, then have we, we the, the perfect, perfect podcast for you. The True North Eager Beaver. Incisive political commentary. We keep you up to date and give you the political and media literacy you seek. To help you cut through the bovine fecal matter. Facts first. Sound analysis. Sometimes I growl. Sometimes I sass. We impart civics and build community. And we share some laughs along the way. Being informed and engaged has never been more fabulous. Or sexy. Catch us on, on the Dean Blundell Network. Network. Or on our YouTube channel. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Because democracy, democracy is, is something, something you do. do.